Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Donald Trump is again attempting to foment a violent coup against the government of the United States and in so doing confirming that he is about to be indicted by the special counsel Jack Smith. And whatever charges Smith has ready now, he should bring them before his grand jury today and arrest Trump immediately and insist that this stochastic terrorist be detained without bail indefinitely in so much as he is a clear and present danger to the safety of this country and its citizens and we have the scars of January 6th to prove that. Quote, it's about election interference, Trump wrote at the start of a social media post at 8.12 Eastern time this morning. It ends, they are using the DOJ and FBI against me to rig the 2024 election. They'll hit Hunter with something small to make their strike on me look fair. Nothing about these fascists is fair or honest. Fight. Unquote. The word fight is in capital letters and followed by an exclamation point, and it is clearly not directed at his attorneys. Trump followed up two minutes later with, quote, election interference. Don't let it happen. Again, that instruction to prevent his indictment or arrest was not directed to attorneys or the government or family members or anybody else. It was directed to his mob. 
just as it was directed to his mob on January 6th, 2021. It is not political speech. It is not dissent. It is not protest. It is not free speech. It is stochastic terrorism. And the word that elevates this from Trump's usual psychopathic communications is, quote, fight, unquote. That should send cold chills down your spine because he used that exact word in its various forms 16 times in that incendiary speech from the ellipse that sent the gang into the Capitol and sent democracy teetering to the edge of destruction. We fight, he shouted that day. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. And now, literally, in the days before his indictment for stealing this country's and other countries' nuclear secrets and our military's war plans for attacking Iran and Lord knows what else, he has now used his social media account to again attempt to incite insurrection and more immediately to somehow prevent by violence the Department of Justice from indicting him from mishandling classified documents, for obstructing justice, possibly for destruction of evidence, suborning of perjury, and though they will not do this, for these violent inspirational posts today. Because this time, this nation can take no chances with this active recidivist terrorist, this madman whose perception of the entire world is himself and his needs and whose perception of this country and everybody living in it is not of people with their own lives, but of furniture that can make itself move and either do things that help him or do things that hurt him. And none of them have any more meaning to him than that. This is a creature whose base includes violent militias, masked gangs, white supremacists, and gun fetishizing lunatics in every part of this country and in many parts of this government. Jack Smith, caught by NBC News this morning as he entered his offices across from the Justice Department headquarters on Pennsylvania Avenue in D.C., said nothing about indictments or anything else, did not make a sound, but he needs to act now and to use Trump's stochastic terrorism to get a judge to detain Trump immediately and indefinitely until trial. Today, Trump changed his endless, bottomless ability to complain and whine and bleat into another direct call for political violence in this country against anybody he perceives as an enemy or an opponent or a Democrat or a liberal or anybody his crazed cultists perceives as an enemy. And on the anniversary of D-Day, no less, patriotism on display, Trump style, arrest him now. The rest of this podcast is the Tuesday, June 6th episode of Countdown, as originally posted. If you've heard it already, no need to continue, but it goes into details about the conclusions we can draw from this sequence of facts, that the special counsel was willing to meet with Trump's lawyers yesterday, that within minutes of the end of that meeting, Trump exploded on social media with rhetorical questions about how the DOJ could possibly indict him. That sequence of events now extends to these dog whistles this morning and the inevitable conclusion that he he is about to be indicted. And again, those quotes, nothing about these fascists is fair or honest. Fight, quote, election interference. Don't let it happen. Jack Smith, don't let this happen again.
Trump's lawyers think we are at the end game, and Trump thinks we are at the end game, and the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and CNN all think we are at the end game, and I sure as hell think we are at the end game. And the real headline from where we all sit in Jack Smith's waiting room kind of implies we are at the end game. And it was noted by the former District of Columbia federal prosecutor and now TV legal analyst Glenn Kirshner. The headline is this. We actually now know one thing for certain. There clearly has been no decision by the special counsel or the attorney general to not charge Trump for the theft of the classified documents. If all of this wrapping up of testimony and investigations and grand jury recalls had led to a conclusion not to indict Trump, there would have been no reason for Smith and an unidentified DOJ career official to have had that meeting with Trump attorneys Jim Trusty, John Rowley and Lindsey Halligan yesterday. And it's not just proving the negative. It's not a no, and it's pretty certainly not an undecided, which leaves, uh, you with me? A yes. Kirshner, quote, the last thing federal prosecutors often do before indicting is to meet the target's defense team and give them an opportunity to present any evidence or arguments they want to offer. The Washington Post presented the same thought. It is not uncommon in high-profile cases for defense lawyers to get such a meeting with Justice Department officials toward the end of an investigation. And there is a second fact, a new one. Jack Smith has had another grand jury working on the documents case in Florida, in the West Palm area, in the jurisdiction covering Mar-a-Lago itself. I had heard this last week but couldn't confirm it. The Wall Street Journal confirmed it first. The New York Times says there is at least one more witness going to testify to that Florida grand jury later this week. Like everybody else, though, the Times writers confess it is not clear why a second grand jury is taking testimony in Florida, because it isn't. Although some legal analysts suggested it gives Smith the flexibility to try the case in Washington or West Palm, depending on how the juries land. We can also infer a third fact from the least likely and usually least reliable source, Trump himself. Literally just minutes after his latest lawyers left the department headquarters on Pennsylvania Avenue between 9th and 10th Northwest, Trump erupted on social media and gave away what he was still hoping for, is still hoping for, must remain hoping for because his world of self-delusion depends on this that for some reason they will not indict him just because, quote, how can DOJ possibly charge me who did nothing wrong when no other presidents were charged when blah, 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 blah. And then the usual psychotic meanderings through Biden, this and Hillary's emails, that and witch hunt, witch hunt, witch hunt. I think we can reconstruct yesterday's meeting. Smith, there, but Attorney General Garland and Deputy Attorney General Monaco, not there. The Trump team goes in, complains, as instructed by their client about the rare piercing of attorney-client privilege in the case of Evan Corcoran, gets nowhere, stretches it out for two hours, according to most reports, 90 minutes, according to at least one other report, and then leaves. 
And then presumably Trusty gets the pleasure of calling Trump and telling him, no, you know what? He wouldn't promise not to indict you or call you innocent publicly or accept your offer to become attorney general in 2025. And then Trump loses his fragile self-control because, again, deep down, he believes he is immortal and untouchable. ABC News did provide a valuable sidelight on that meeting and on why it would have taken 90 minutes to two hours, reporting that the meeting, quote, focused mostly on process and very little on the legal matters central to the document's probe. Trump's lawyers got no indication of any potential charges or timing associated with any possible indictment, end quote. The word process here would be that whole attorney-client thing and the other prosecutorial anomalies, real or imagined, the standard technicalities and loopholes Trump has spent his life wriggling through, around, and under like a bulbous but surprisingly nimble limbo dancer. The bigger picture continues to be, yeah, we're at the end game. The Times. The visit came amid indications that prosecutors in the special counsel's office were approaching the end of their documents inquiry. It also came at a time when Mr. Trump's advisors have concluded that there might not be much more time to stave off charges. Trump expects to face charges, the Times writes, according to people who have spoken to him, although that does not mean he has been assured that charges are pending. From the Post. Two Trump advisors briefed on Monday's meeting said they continue to believe Smith will finalize a charging decision in coming weeks. The advisors said they are preparing for a potential indictment of the former president and the meeting did not change their expectations. The journal's second sentence, the meeting is the latest indication that Smith has all but wrapped up his investigation. CNN's second sentence, it appears to be nearing its final stage. There did not seem to be anything new on the reported reconvening of the grand jury this week, nor what it would be reconvening for. Nearly every report contained a useful reminder, though, for all of us, that whatever happens on this documents case and whenever it happens, Jack Smith will then pivot to focusing particularly on January 6th. And as we've discussed previously, the easier to prove elements of fraud, raising funds for a stolen election Trump knew wasn't stolen. So if we are expecting indictments, we are expecting them in stages. On the 12th day of Christmas, there is a solid joke about the damaged Mar-a-Lago security video story that came out yesterday. Jack Smith isn't leaking, but Trump's pool is. And so we turn to a leak about leaking, which if I remember correctly, was one of the very first things we all tried to get Trump investigated over in 2016. Uh, think about it. We may have an answer as to what that second grand jury is looking at in Florida, and we probably have the answer as to why the special counsel seemed so obsessed with not just staffers moving boxes in and out of the storage room at Mar-a-Lago, and not just security video of staffers moving boxes in and out of the storage room, but vaguely worded hints about glitches on the security video, and finally the hilarious report that the Mar-a-Lago staffer who helped Walt Nauda with the heavy lifting actually went to the IT guy at Mar-a-Lago and asked him how soon before the CCTV system would delete video of, uh, uh, say, um, just as a hypothetical um, himself. Quote, 
An employee at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence drained the resort's swimming pool last October and ended up flooding a room where computer servers containing surveillance video logs were kept. What are the odds against that? The punchline, of course, is that CNN identifies the guy who drained the pool as the same guy who helped Walt Nauta move the boxes. Coincidence, no doubt. CNN reports at least one grand jury witness has been asked about the washout. It is not clear if it was accidental or deliberate. It seems to be clear that the IT equipment in that room was not damaged. But the whole thing is obviously focused on weather. Like the 18 and a half minute gap on one of Nixon's Watergate tapes, somebody had deliberately tried to destroy evidence by destroying recordings, by draining a swimming pool. And there are all the seeming cosmic callbacks in this idea that the draining of a country club swimming pool might be of critical importance in the revelation of the crimes of a president. The Watergate break-in itself was uncovered in progress because of what first looked like trivial routine building maintenance when the burglars used duct tape to keep a stairwell door from locking behind them. The night watchman, Frank Wills, removed the tape, but the next time he passed that same door, he saw more tape had been applied to cover the lock. That's when he called the cops. More recently, we have seen Trump move from drain the swamp to drain the pool. And of course, draining a swimming pool at a country club. Well, that's also a callback for, yes, right out of the script for the movie Caddyshack. Where's that baby Ruth candy bar? And of course, there is the ultimate Trump callback. To paraphrase what Frank Lesser writes on Twitter, how... This won't be the first time Trump denies causing water damage at a hotel. Also of note today, I may have been the first person with any kind of national platform to suggest that Chris Licht was going to destroy CNN. And I must tell you, I really did hope it was just my inability to override my vivid memories of seeing his worminess up close and personal when we were at MSNBC. But even I am beginning to wonder if defenestrating him, then going downstairs and bringing him back upstairs and defenestrating him again is, you know, really fair to... Who am I kidding? (laughs) Let's go down and get him again. Licht's apology to his staff yesterday has only made things worse. It earned him praise not from his own people, but from only a couple of horrible human beings who work at MSNBC. And the one remaining kind of feel-good part of that whole nightmarish magazine story in The Atlantic, Licht's dedication to working out and getting healthy with a trainer, that was blown up yesterday by one tabloid headline, quote, CNN boss Chris Licht bragged about taking Ozempic for weight loss. Side effects of Ozempic include nausea, diarrhea, and loss of any remaining credibility as a newsman. That's next. This is Countdown. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Postscripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline CNN headquarters, Hudson Yards, New York. I believe the Simpsons meme applies here. Stop, stop, he's already dead. Yesterday began with CNN's Chris Licht being raked over the coals because having destroyed most of the network in the live Trump CNN town hall, moderated by the hopelessly outmatched Caitlin Collins, he had pretty much finished off the self-destruction job during the live Nikki Haley CNN town hall on Sunday night in which Jake Tapper, apparently too bored or too burned out to give a damn, never pushed back when Haley, who is a genuinely stupid person with no principles she would not sell out for money or power, actually tried to blame suicides by teenaged girls in this country on the idea that they might have to deal with transgendered girls in the bathroom or on the sports field, something of which the number of reported examples is approximately more or less zero. 
That repeat in miniature of the blowback against Licht after the Trump-Hindenburg disaster was still in progress when Chris Licht got onto the CNN 9 a.m. internal conference call and tried to apologize to everybody, and by 10 a.m., all the quotes were all over the place. First, Licht praised the Haley Town Hall debacle, then went off on a monologue that did almost as much damage to himself and his network as the piece by Tim Alberta in The Atlantic did to begin with. Let me quote and translate as we go along. All right, quoting Licht. I know these past few days have been very hard for this group, unquote. Wait, days? Since Licht took over CNN a year ago, the network has been a real-life version of the legend of Sisyphus. Only it's the actual journalists there who've had to try to push the damn rock back up the hill every day, while it's Licht who has then deliberately rolled it back down every night. Days? Try months, paste boy. Quoting Licht again, I fully recognize that this news cycle and my role in it overshadowed the incredible week of reporting that we just had and distracted from the work of every single journalist in this organization, and for that I'm sorry, unquote. First of all, he's not sorry. He's sorry he's getting criticized. The reporting he's talking about is CNN's continuing breaking of Trump's special counsel stories, like the flooding of the IT room I mentioned. And remember, Chris Licht was hired by David Zaslav and John Malone, so he would overshadow bad stories about Trump and Republicans, overshadow them or keep them off the CNN air. Quote, as I read that article, I found myself thinking, CNN is not about me. I should not be in the news unless it's taking arrows for you. Your work is what should be written about, unquote. Well, that's the biggest bullspit in this vast pile of bullspit that is Chris Licht. He has always metaphorically jumped in front of somebody else's camera shot. Joe Scarborough publicity? Licht made sure he was in it, too. Gail King publicity? Gail King and Licht. Stephen Colbert? Saved by Chris Licht. The new, old, old, new, whatever it is, CNN. Remember, you can't spell CNN without Chris Licked. I mean, the publicity generation of Chris Licht is so institutionalized now that maybe before the CNN 9 a.m. call yesterday was even over, Joe Scarborough, the most despicable scumbag I have ever worked with, and I've worked with Chris Myers, Joe Scarborough was already reading those quotes from another network's internal phone call and defending his former producer live on MSNBC. And one of Scarborough's on-air sycophants on MSNBC, the ridiculous Donnie Deutsch, said, I would never bet against Chris Licht even though it was reportedly Chris Licht who told Deutsch when he was filling in as an MSNBC anchor years ago that a good idea for a show would be to criticize me on the air. I mean, I never even heard about it until after management came in and apologized and told me Deutsch had been suspended and would not be anchoring again. And if anything defines the seriousness of Licht's series of disasters better than that, I don't know what it could be. Daintily vilified by CNN's Christiane Amanpour, flaccidly badly defended by Anderson Cooper of CNN, shot full of holes by dozens of off-the-record CNN people, Chris Licht's only 
on-the-record defense in the entire television industry has now come from two guys on one of the networks he is supposed to be destroying. One more quote from the Apology Tour. To those whose trust I've lost, I will fight like hell to win it back because you deserve a leader who will be in the trenches, unquote. Ah, uh, yeah, he'll be in the trenches, all right. And then, metaphorically, they will bury him in the trenches because Warner Bros' Discovery may not actually fire Chris Licht, but he will not be running CNN by autumn at the latest. And the second half of that last quote in the trenches, fighting to ensure CNN remains the world's most trusted name in news, unquote. Most trusted, least watched. So let's see how Licht's pretend humility played out there in the real world, shall we? Off-the-record quotes to the first guy Licht fired for liberaling while broadcasting, Brian Stelter, quote, he's over. Quote, there's no coming back from that profile. Quote, if he's so concerned with the CNN brand, what is the point of saying any of this stuff publicly? And somebody else said Licht told him the fight like hell quote, but added, I've got nothing to lose now. Which just shows Licht is still delusional. He's got a lot to lose now. To the Washington Post, a CNN anchor added, this just seems unsustainable, unquote. Also, the Post article had one more quote from that licked apology on the conference call, which doesn't need much amplification or explanation. They say he said, quote, this experience has been tremendously humbling. I bet it has. So that seemed to be it for day 27 of Chris Licht in crisis. And then came the moment when it was obvious that everybody Chris Licht ever tried to damage or hurt or interfere with, they were going to get in one last shot while he was still breathing. The saddest truth about the piece in The Atlantic, the one moment when some of us had a moment of pity, empathy, felt bad about feeling so good reading it, that saddest truth was that basically the only person who would go on the record to the Atlantic writer praising Chris Licht was his personal trainer. Though the fact that Licht looked so desperate that he would let a magazine writer watch his 5 a.m. workouts and when he finished a bunch of squats while he was humping a rope or whatever it was, he shouted, Jeff Zucker couldn't do this, spit. He had at least managed to lose 50 pounds and get in shape. This was a guy who had a brain problem. Stay in shape. Stay in shape while destroying your television network. And then it comes from the London tabloid rag, The Daily Mail. And The Daily Beast had this story, too. They just didn't get it published fast enough. Headline, exclusive, CNN boss Chris Licht bragged about... Taking Ozempic for weight loss. Ho, 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 ho. Quote, multiple sources tell DailyMail.com that the self-proclaimed meal-skipping machine actually bragged about using the diabetes drug-turned-weight-loss miracle Ozempic before it became popular among A-listers earlier this year. 
I heard about Ozempic from Chris, a close friend of Licht told DailyMail.com. When he was at Colbert, he explained that he was a huge fan of it and he'd been using it to get his weight under control. This was back in 2021. So I was shocked when I read the Atlantic story and he was claiming it was due to a trainer and cutting meals. Paul Lees, he told me point blank he uses it, unquote. Oh, God. Ozempic. Jeff Zucker couldn't do that spit either. Still ahead on Countdown, all I had to do in the commercial was stride over into the newsroom, grab the guy's guitar, and smash it against a room divider. The trick was, we didn't tell anybody in the newsroom first, and a mighty roar went up from the crowd. Coming up, first the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze, David Begley, an attorney in Omaha, who did not like the fact that Nebraska State Senator Megan Hunt voted against the creeping meatballism in his state, in this case, Legislative Bill 574, which would have further restricted gender-affirming care in Nebraska. So, he filed a conflict of interest complaint against Senator Hunt. Why? Because Senator Hunt has a transgender son, and even though Medicaid doesn't pay for transgender care, David Begley said her family might get money someday from Medicaid because of it, and she should have had to disclose this before the vote, even though her side lost and her chances of getting Medicaid for this are about as big as this worm Begley now growing a soul. The Nebraska Accountability and Disclosure Commission began an investigation into this Begley guy's attempt to stop legislators from voting unless they agree with him. They've now dismissed his complaint. They spent taxpayer money on this. Frankly, they should charge Begley because this was intimidation and transphobia, and it was funded by the taxpayers of Nebraska. And yeah, Begley's office is in the phone book. The runner-up, Space Karen again, Elmo Muskrat, joined in a spaces conversation by the decaying remains of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. The good news is the thing did not crash this time like it did with DeSantis. The bad news, Elmo yesterday pushed yet another conspiracy theory. In this one, the conspiracy is against him. Musk said half of advertising disappeared from Twitter overnight because we're insisting on free speech and they're literally trying to drive Twitter bankrupt. And when he says they, of course he means I'm driving Twitter bankrupt because I have no idea how life works. Won't somebody take this goddamn thing away from me? And he might as well say, go anti-woke, go broke. By the way, is there a way we could do that? Is there some legal construction in which Twitter being online and using public bandwidth and such is declared a public communications medium and you could take it away from this idiot Musk the way the FCC could take a local TV station away from inappropriate owners? Just a thought. But our winner, good old Congressman Jamie Comer of Kentucky, chairman of the House Committee for um, Wasting Time. I think that's the title of it. The one pursuing the Biden whistleblower complaint that turns out to actually have originated with Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani is the guy at the heart of this whole whistleblower crap. This is the memo Republicans say is more important than whether or not anything alleged in the memo is true. 
Well, yesterday the FBI briefed Jamie and Jamie Comer and the ranking committee Democrat Jamie Raskin, and the two emerged from the briefing, and Comer had the gall to say the allegation, quote, has not been disproven, and Raskin just looked at him and said, yeah, it had. Quote, the FBI, the Department of Justice team under William Barr and Brady terminated the investigation. They said there were no grounds for further investigative steps. Can we please just start calling this what it is? This partner abuse allegation skating yokel Comer is making this crap up as he goes along and he should be treated as the semi-sentient fire hydrant that he is. Representative Jamie, you know what else has not been disproven? Your college girlfriend's allegation that you hit her and took her to her abortion and threatened to kill her, Comer. Today's worst person in the world! Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Still ahead here on Countdown, somebody asked me about the old This Is Sports Center commercials the other day, and if I had a favorite, and I had three, and they all have great stories, but the Alexi Lalas guitar story is probably the best of them. Things I promise not to tell, next. First in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need. You can help. Every dog has its day. This is about Lilu and Potty Cake Rescue, which saves dogs in the Bahamas. Potty Cake Rescue had to close recently because it has to change buildings. But try explaining that to dogs in trouble. 
The woman in charge of Potty Cake saw Li Lu and knew she really needed help. She was hiding in a school, just a white mutt with ears as big as her face and clearly some kind of neurological problem. She was having trouble standing and keeping standing. So if she fell while trying to cross the road, she would never make it to the other side. So they rescue her and they're trying to raise funds to get her treated and placed in a foster home. They've set up a grid, giving grid page and you can find her on there, Lilu, L-I-L-O-U. And you can find her on my Twitter feeds. If you can donate, please do. And your retweet will also help. I thank you and Lilu thanks you. The 1994 World Cup did not really do that much for American soccer, which, as you know, is the sport of the future in this country, and always will be. It did make a lot of Americans into fans, but fans of European clubs, especially the British clubs. But for a while, Alexei Lalas, with his shoulder-length reddish-blonde hair and his billy goat beard and his anti-establishment vibe, he was on the front burners of American sports. So naturally, ESPN wanted him for the surrealist fake documentary commercials called This is Sports Center. And sure enough, he came to Bristol and they devised a bit in which Gary Miller, Gianluca Pagliuca's Gary Miller, would be sitting at a desk in the Sports Center newsroom as, atop the adjoining desk, Lalas sat cross-legged, philosophizing on relaxation and vibes and finally playing Michael Row the Boat Ashore on his guitar. At that point, the commercial turned into one of the classic scenes from John Belushi's Animal House film. Another sportscaster was to storm into the newsroom, pull the guitar out of Lalas's hands, and then smash it against a cubicle wall with the greatest grunt he could achieve, and then hand Lalas back whatever was left of the guitar, and, like Belushi, say, sorry, well... They asked me to be the other sportscaster who smashes the guitar. So picture that in your mind as I play what it sounded like for 20 seconds or so. And then I have what I think is a really good backstory about the filming of this one. You know, I've been talking to you all afternoon about the tension, about the, the darkness. You know, we got to do something about that. Michael Rowe. For time's sake, the word sorry didn't make it. So the backstory, and it's out of chronological order, the guitar that Alexei Lawis was playing was not the one I smashed. There was an exact duplicate that had been bought, it had been taken apart, it had been sawed, and basically it was put back together with scotch tape. It would hold together long enough for him to strum a few sour notes on it, and then for me to grab it and smash it. They were confident it would not fly apart until I hit the cubicle wall with it, but they still told me to simply grab it, not yank it out of his hands, or I might be left holding the neck of the guitar and Alexei holding the rest of it. This was especially problematic because we only had the one prop guitar. That's right, we made the business end of that commercial in one take. The This Is Sports Center campaign not only frequently achieved something approaching genius levels of originality and creativity, but they were all done cheaper than local news promos in Burlington, Vermont in 1982. 
We often shot three of these commercials in one day. And it wasn't until the second series of ads did the Sports Center anchors who starred in one or two or three even get credit for a day off. In one of them, Charlie Steiner is trying to get his tape of highlights back from the Harlem Globetrotters who are passing it around like a basketball. And he says, Keith, a little help. And I'm typing away at my computer and I say, sure, Charlie. And I don't even look at him, let alone stop typing, let alone give him any help. And that's done because the commercial was shot in the area right behind my desk because nobody was working there that day except me. And it was around 5 p.m. And I was, in fact, sitting at my desk writing the 11 p.m. Sports Center script. And the original commercial script did not call for me to even be in Charlie's commercial. But on the fly, the writer said, hey, Keith, can you give us one line? And I said, as long as I can keep writing. And they said, perfect. And by the way, Charlie did the commercial around 5 o'clock or so and then went and anchored the 6.30 p.m. Sports Center. The spot we did where hockey legend Gordie Howe beats me up while I am trying to read through a script also shot at my desk. Also on a day I was anchoring the show. And that was my real script. Anyway, back to Alexei Lalas and the guitar. So we only had the one prop guitar, and so we only had the one take, and we were shooting it in the actual Sports Center newsroom, of course. In fact, they were remodeling the real newsroom to accommodate the launch of the new ESPN News Network. So this was the temporary, even more crowded than usual newsroom. So the cameraman and the producer and the writer and I walked through how they thought it would work best, since I would have to weave past people who were really doing their jobs and going to other desks and talking to people and stuff. They had two cameras in the little hallway that constituted the temporary newsroom's northern border, and they put a third smaller camera on the floor where they guessed that a piece of the guitar might land after I smashed it. See if you can get the fret or something to go here, the producer said. That'd make a great shot. I asked him how in the hell I was supposed to do that, since we couldn't even practice the smash, and he said, well, honestly, I don't know. Telepathy, maybe? That was the other salient part of the backstory. Since we only had the one take, and we wouldn't even be doing a dry run because they didn't want the guitar to fall apart in my hands, I would say less than half the people crowded into the temporary newsroom had any idea that when I came in, I was in the commercial, let alone that I was going to actually and loudly destroy a guitar by smashing it against a low cubicle wall. Even if the guitar has been pre-broken and taped back together as that one was, it is still going to make a lot of noise. Wait, I said to my friend Hank, who wrote it. You're not warning anybody, are you, you little devil? Hank got a gleeful, evil, glazed look in his eyes. No, isn't that great? So they filmed the close-ups of Gary, and they filmed the close-ups of Alexi, and then they set me up to enter from a vestibule through two swinging doors with windows in them, which was along the periphery of the temporary newsroom. Then a right turn, and then about, I don't know, 15, 20 feet to where Alexei and Gary were still sitting. My target for exactly where I should hit the guitar was clearly marked on the cubicle wall, and they even put marks on the carpet of where a couple of practice walks had shown would give me the best chance at a solid stance when I swung the guitar and sent it el kabonging to its doom. And nobody ever said, quiet, or roll, or here we go. 
They told people in the room that they were just shooting some cover angles on Gary and Alexi, and people could say or move whatever and wherever they wanted to, just so long they didn't get away with the cameras. Then they just tapped the desks for Alexa and Gary to start, and the producer waved to me, and in I went, trying to channel John Belushi when he takes the guitar away from Stephen Bishop on the stairs of the frat house in Animal House. I furrowed my brow, and I tried to fake some venom towards Alexei Lalas. I found the emotion. As I came through the doors, I kept thinking that since I had been eight years old, I had heard people call soccer the sport of the future here, and I was now 37, and I was damn tired of hearing it. Lalas was strumming on the nearly neutered prop guitar. It made a sick sound. I took my strides, I hit the marks, I grabbed the guitar by the neck with my right hand, and simultaneously, Alexei let go, and then with both hands, I swung the guitar back over my head and smashed it right on the mark. As you heard... Michael Rowe, you go to show, hallelujah, everybody, Rowe, you go to show. The SportsCenter newsroom promptly went silent. For several seconds, the reaction was identical to what it would have been had there been no commercial being made and no cameras present, and I had just walked in and destroyed somebody's guitar, which I guess a lot of people expected I might do someday, because even a lot of the people who were surprised were not surprised surprised. Craig Wax, the skinny research guy, can be seen in the finished commercial, which is on YouTube, for a second, far left, just staring at me like, yeah, well, we always knew Keith would do something like that. After I destroyed the guitar, and I have to say, I did it really well. I kept moving, per the plan, until I walked back through the swinging doors and out of shot. The director shouted, cut. I walked back in, and the crew gave me a round of applause, and a couple of them were cheering out of all proportion, even if I had done as good of a job as I thought. Come here, come here, the cameraman kept saying. Come here. That extra camera on the floor... They backed the videotape up from it, and they showed it to me. When I smashed the guitar, the fretboard, the actual wood and metal piece on the neck flew off and not only landed near the third camera's lens, it hit it on the fly, and it stuck there. They were as happy as if they were engineers imploding a building for the first time, and it had fallen exactly as they had hoped. Plus, they showed me the playback from the first camera, and there was an assignment desk editor with her back to the action on the phone, completely unaware of what was happening or even that they were rolling film and videotape, and she literally jumped several inches out of her seat of her chair. But to me, the best part of this thing is Gary Miller. Even if you know a loud noise is coming, it is quite the effort to not flinch a little when it happens, basically right over your shoulder. I mean, ask the little kid in the movie North by Northwest, where Eva Marie Saint shoots Cary Grant, and he sticks his fingers in his ears because it's take 37 and he knows the noise is coming. I mean, you're aware of it just for the possibility that somebody will screw it up like me and debris will fly into the back of your head. But if you watch Gary Miller in this Sports Center commercial, he doesn't even blink. Just a little deadpan head jerk. It's perfect. 
What also amazes me is that we got all this done in 24 seconds of running time. Alexei goes on about negativity, how they have to do something about it. He plays enough of the song that you recognize it. You get a shot of cheerleaders incongruously in the middle of the background. I appear from nowhere, move over there, smash the guitar while roaring spectacularly. I give him back the neck of the thing. The only thing missing is that shot of the fret bar flying into camera three. They explain they didn't have the extra two seconds. Scene. I remember enjoying doing this so much that I asked them for the front of the body of the guitar and I had Alexi sign it to me on the spot. It hung framed in my various offices for about 15 years. In 2014, I was leaving the recording of Stephen Colbert's final episode for Comedy Central. I was one of 100 guests. And I went out onto the street to find a cab home. And I got one. And in getting into it, I nearly ran into... Alexei Lalas, who was one of the other 100 guests. I laughed, he laughed, and he said, and I don't even have my guitar with me. And one last note. I doubt this will be of any practical use to you, but I must say, as somebody who was accorded this rare privilege, not only of doing this, but of doing this with impunity and doing this to applause, if you are trying to healthily vent any frustrations or anger in your life, Smashing a guitar against a workplace cubicle wall is exactly as satisfying as you would expect it would be. done all the damage I can do here. Countdown has come to you from the Vin Scully studio at the world headquarters of the Old Roman Broadcasting Empire, Sports Capsule Building, New York. Here are the credits. Most of the music was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, the Countdown musical directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. And it was produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Tony Kornheiser, and everything else was pretty much my fault. That's Countdown for this, the 882nd day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Don't forget to keep arresting him while we still can. The next scheduled Countdown is tomorrow. Until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is is uncanny usa 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.